0: So this gospel it's a little bit depressing, isn't it? You know, here's Jesus saying there's going to be many people try to get to heaven, but most of them won't succeed. Anyone here feel a bit anxious right now? <laughs> You've probably got every right to be. Um, you know we, we live in an age where most people don't believe in God, but even those who don't believe in God expect that if by chance they're wrong, everyone still gets to go to heaven. Um, No one misses out. Um, It's kind of a strange concept, I think. So when we get a gospel like this, where Jesus is fairly blunt, it sort of challenges our whole cultural understanding of God. Now, I think the best way to explain this is to actually talk about Santa Claus, if I can. Because there's actually quite a few similarities between how we talk about Santa Claus and how we think about God. Um, Obviously, Santa Claus, old guy with a big white beard, lives far, far away. We often talk about God the same way, you know, in our pictures of God the Father. Um, Now, I don't know whether you've ever sat and thought philosophically about Santa Claus. Probably not. Um, You know, once again, most people are wrestling over the existence of Santa Claus some are very fervent to say yes he does others are very fervent that he doesn't but the vast majority probably don't care as long as they get presents You know, we don't really ask where they came from as long as they're there on Christmas day now I suppose the same thing with God big arguments for and against but the vast majority of people I think as long as their life is good they don't care you know, as long as the blessings keep coming, that's enough. Now, I suppose that the big question is, why does Santa Claus exist? You know, if, if, we, if we assume that he does exist, why? I think fundamentally we'd have to say, Santa Claus exists to make us happy. That's the only reason he's there. I don't I think you've ever stopped to think about this question. You know, why does this guy exist? What's well, it's his whole purpose of being... Is to make you happy on Christmas Day. It's all about you, you know. And if, you know, if, if, the, if the, the songs we sing about Santa Claus are correct, you know, he's a fairly judgmental guy. You know, he's making a list, he's checking it twice, <laughs> checking whether you're naughty or nice, or that sort of thing. It's, it's it's fairly discerning. And so there is some sort of bargain there where you've got to do something to make sure that you're in the good books. And as long as you're on the on the nice list, then you should be able to demand a good present. Now I think this is where it all comes back to God, because most people I would suggest think about God the same way. In fact, most of the very simplistic way we explain God sounds more like Santa Claus. You know, we we have this idea that once again God is a fairly judgmental guy, he's got his list. You either fall into the nice category or the naughty category. And as long as you are good, you should expect blessings and good things to fall upon you. And if you're bad, you should be punished and have all sorts of bad things. You know, red lights every time you go driving in the city. Um, Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, I don't think this way. Of course not. Now, the measure of this is when bad stuff does happen, do you chuck a little tantrum and say, but God, I've been good. Why are you doing this to me? Ever done that? I want you'd have to show hands, but <laughs> There is something inside of us where I think we still do hold on to this fairly simplistic theology that it's a bit of a functional bargain. As long as I'm good, as long as I do the right thing, I say my prayers, I come to church, I put up with the boring homilies, I should get a blessing. <laughs> my life should be good now with that as a background i think we start to understand something of this gospel so often when jesus is talking in the in the gospels and particularly saying particularly hard messages he's actually talking to the good people you know so often he's having a huge rant at the pharisees about how bad the pharisees are the Pharisees were actually good people. You know, they were people trying to be perfect and righteous in the law. And so it's kind of a strange thing. Why is he picking on men and not the sinners and the, you know, the prostitutes and the tax, tax collectors? And so I think in, in light of this, we, we don't really know which group he's talking to here. But he's, he's putting down a pretty hard word here trying to basically say, you've missed the point. You know, you're, you're assuming he's talking to the Jewish people. He's saying, you know, you're all good, faithful Jews. Every year you go to the temple for Passover, you're going to the synagogue, you're saying your prayers, you're going through all the usual Jewish devotions. You know, every time you walk through a doorway, you're, you're putting your hand on, on, the, on the copy of the law that's just on the inside of the door. You, you're doing all the rituals, but you're probably not going to get to heaven. Now, this is where it should really confuse us. If he was talking to the bad people, it'd make sense. But if he's talking to the good people, the devotional, faithful, prayerful, going to the temple sort of people, then it's a little bit confusing. You know, many will try to enter in. And that's the thing. Like, like he's not talking about the people who don't care about getting to heaven, he's talking about the people who are trying to. And they're probably not going to get there. Now this is where I think we need to come back to understand, okay, what is heaven? If we think of heaven coming from that Santa Claus mentality, then heaven is the ultimate present. And if you've been really good, you get the ultimate present. But once again, why does God exist? Or why does heaven exist? It's all about me. It's this purely sort of self centered spirituality where really it's all about God serving me. God has created heaven for me so that I can bliss out through all of eternity. And that's not love. I think that's the fundamental point. Whereas I think what Jesus is trying to say is that heaven is relationship, and the relationship is the reward. And I think you've got to sort of stop and think about this to try and get the subtlety of it. That, once again, we, we live in a world which is taken over by the Santa Claus syndrome. And, and as a result, people have forgotten how to love. People have actually forgotten what love actually is. I don't know whether you're aware, but the, the average lifespan for a marriage in Australia at the moment is seven years, statistically. And when, when you think about the people who are married for 60 years for the basic understanding of how averages work, that means there's a whole bunch of people failing in their marriage within about six months. Now, I would suggest, because most people are rocking up to their wedding day kind of with something of this Santa Claus idea in their mind. You know, when they're professing their vows to their spouse, they're actually saying, you exist to make me happy. That's the only reason you exist. And on the day you stop doing that, deal's broken, I'm out of here. That's maybe a bit of a cynical way to express it, but I think there's something of that going on. Now, the same thing happens in family between parents and children. You know, children are there basically saying, Why do my parents exist? They're a bank, they give me money, you know, they give me food, they give me housing. Um, But at the same time, there's a lot of parents who kind of say the same thing about their children. You know, you exist to make my life perfect, and you have to be the perfect child to make my life even better. You know, this, this is the sort of attitude which has infiltrated our culture more and more. But I think the tragedy of it is that we've actually forgotten the mystery of love. You know, what, what is it to actually devote yourself to somebody else and say, I don't care what happens as long as I'm with you. I don't care what sort of suffering or trial or hardship we go through. As long as I'm with you, that's enough, that's the reward, I'm happy. You know, that's, that's the goal. That, I think that's what real love looks like. And I can see a bunch of the married couples look at each other now, sort of smiling. You know? I'll take that as a confirmation. <laughs> in, in light of what Jesus is talking about here, I think it's the same thing. He's calling us to step away from this sort of childish, sort of self-centered spirituality, And actually enter into real intimacy. Where we can say to God, I don't care what happens for the rest of my life as long as I'm with you. Because the relationship's the reward. If I've got you, that is my heaven. You know, and and really if you if you follow through the way Jesus speaks through all the gospels, but particularly John's gospel, he he would basically say like like, this is what eternal life is. It's to know God and to know the one whom he has said, Jesus Christ. You know, heaven is to be in relationship with Christ. It's not about the place and the paradise. And so really I think this is what he's trying to say here. Many people will try to enter in. Many people will try to get to heaven, but they won't get there because their starting point is all wrong. They're starting from a place where it's all about them, and even though it's this wonderful prayer and spirituality and devotion, the fundamental starting point is all wrong. And, and I think this is why so many people never really advance in their prayer. They, they, you know, after 30, 40, 50 years of coming to church every week, they're still in the same place. They haven't really advanced anywhere. Their prayer is the same. You know, their whole way of being is the same. Whereas I think if we get our starting point correct and we start to say, hang on, this is, this is actually about real intimate relationship with Christ. I want to know his love. I want to be taken over by his love. I want to be so captured by that love that I'm prepared to follow him anywhere. That changes the whole journey completely because it's no longer about me trying to earn points or tick boxes or jump through hoops. It's about me walking every day and going deeper into the heart of Christ. And I think this is where we start to understand the lives of the saints. You know, so often I've, when I've been doing talks or lectures about the lives of the saints, people don't quite get them. They're, they're, they're weird are weird. You know, when, when the saints start talking about how they find joy in suffering, how they find, you know, they rejoice when hardships come upon them. And everyone's like, ah, oh, St. Francis has got a few screws loose. It's a bit, bit, bit strange. But really what he's trying to get at is he just wants to be closer and closer to the heart of Christ. And if Jesus is being humiliated, he wants to be standing right next to him. If Jesus is being scourged, he's happy to be scourged right there with him, if, as long as he can be close to him. You know, it's a little bit like when you, when you see married couples who have been married for so long, and, and, and one of them maybe is you know desperately sick in hospital, and the other one won't leave their side. It's like, if you're going to be there, I'm going to be there with you. you know, And I'm going to go through this with you, because I just want to be close to you. That is the Christian journey. The Christian journey is about saying, I want to follow Christ wherever he goes. And there will be some days where we are walking in the most glorious garden of all, and there are other times where we're walking to Calvary. But I'm not going to hesitate. I'm not going to flinch, because I just want to be close to him at every single moment. And at the point when you find yourself being crucified, to be able to turn around and realize that Christ is right there with you, and to be able to rejoice, because it's like I'm closer to Him now than I ever could be. That's the mentality of the saints. You know, they, they understood what the journey actually was, and they found joy at every single moment. So I think, in reflecting on this gospel, for us to simply come back and say, well, where do I currently stand now? What's, what's the attitude that informs my faith, my prayer? Because yeah, once again, so many people pray when it's good and they stop praying when it's hard. You know, are, you, are, you, are you able to pray regardless of what it feels like just because you want to be close to the heart of Jesus? You know, Try and measure where you're at in your faith. And if you think you're in the wrong place, start by just simply saying, God, let me fall in love with you. Make that your prayer. it's actually a terrifying prayer. Very few people actually pray it because I think they somehow know deep within them what's going to happen if God answers that. Your life will never be the same again. But I want to challenge you tonight to actually make that your prayer, to say, Lord, let me fall madly, deeply, stupidly in love with you. Capture my heart so much with your love beyond the level of feeling. You know, we're not looking, once again, this is not about make me feel loved But rather this is about let me just be so captured by you that I will follow you wherever you go. And I think then we can walk with absolute assurance that we are walking into eternal life because we are living eternal life right now.